0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us this week, and we're going to study the Bible for the next 30 minutes, see if we can find some answers for some of our viewers. Uh, Maybe you're a first time viewer and you don't know what we do here. Uh, We talk about the Bible. And what we talk about is what our viewers would like us to talk about. There's a phone number and a website on the screen throughout the program. You can use those any time to get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about, and that's where we'll go. So that's what we do, and uh, I will help with some of the answers, and my friend Toby Levering will answer the rest of them. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad to help. Glad you're here and ready to go, and we're going to see if we can answer as fast as we can, but as accurately as we can. But well, we always start with one for our viewers. So see if you know a little Bible here. A uh, famous story in the Old Testament. <clears throat> as the people of Israel crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land, uh, Joshua had them pick something up. And we'll see what they scavenged on their the way into the Promised Land. And just uh, at the end of the program, we'll give you an answer to that. See what they picked up. All right, Toby. You got number one today. So yes, I Start do. us off.
1: A person asked a very sincere question: If you have been baptized and you slip, do you have to be rebaptized? And my answer to that is no, you do not. Um, because first of all, if if you had to be baptized every time you slipped up, uh, I'm not sure there'd be enough water or enough time in life to. Uh, continually be rebaptizing, um, and that's not the point. The, 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 the magic of there's no magic in the water. I mean, there's nothing about the water that washes you. It's the obedience to what Jesus said to do, it's His blood that purifies and atones for sin. And once you've been baptized, uh, we're told in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Most English translations don't get this idea, but in the original language, that verb verb, cleanses is continuative action, meaning it's not just one and done. It's ongoing. Well, how do we stay in the light? Well, we've got to walk in the light, and we've got to make sure that we are remaining faithful to the Lord, of course. Um, But actually, the very next couple of verses... Give us some insight into what you do once you've been baptized into Christ and you slip, which I think is certainly going to happen with all human beings. We're going to slip. Uh, let's look at that verse on the screen. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And So I think that's the... Uh, I think that's, that's it. When you are a Christian and you are in Christ, the thing is, when you slip up, you got to own it. <laughs> and that's confessing that before the Lord. Um, and saying to God, you know, God, I acknowledge that I sinned here. I acknowledge that I slipped and I messed up. I'm sorry for that. I want to do better and I pray that you'll, you'll forgive me and, and teach me the right way to go. And maybe there might be a need of a public confession of that. Depending on what it was, but the idea basically is to own it, take responsibility for it, repent, you know, try to do better, and then just move forward. Uh, Don't let the enemy sit and continually accuse you uh, when you've been forgiven through the blood of Jesus. So, uh, I hope that helps you a little bit. Read First John chapter one, verses seven through ten, to remind you of whose you are, how you've been freed, and uh, how to remain faithful to the Lord hope that helps
0: okay we have a question not about the bible uh, we don't answer very many questions that aren't bible related but this one is and i thought somebody <laughs> might be interested in it so we'll try to answer is your show taped or live well it is recorded uh, technically it's not taped anymore because we don't even use tapes it's all digital uh, but it is recorded and broadcast later uh, and some of you may be interested in that process uh, because we do have people call in on, uh, during a broadcast and say they want their question answered that day. Uh, that's not going to happen <laughs> uh, because of the way we do things. Uh, we do take questions all the time. We get them during the program. We get them during the week. We get them in the middle of the night uh, on the answering machine. We get them on the website. Uh, I take all of those questions and put them together in a script, uh, decide that we're going to answer them in this order. Uh, and that's because we get a lot of questions repeatedly. We get some questions almost every week. Uh, but we don't answer them every show. We answer them every two or three months or something like that. So. We make a list that we want to answer questions in this order. Uh, then we come to a TV studio and record those uh, questions that are on the list. Uh, we do three programs of the setting, so we, that's the way we tape uh, or record. Then we send them off to somebody to put a closed caption on them, so the hearing impaired uh, they can see what we're saying. And then those get distributed all over the country to where we broadcast from. And and at some point, they finally get broadcast. Uh, That process takes a month or two, uh, depending on how far ahead we're working and all that. So a question called in today uh, may not appear on TV for quite a while, but that's the process, that's the best we can do. And since we're in different markets on different channels, networks Uh, we get preempted at different times Uh, depending where you live you might get preempted for this sport or that sport or some special event Uh, so our programs are broadcast at all different times and lots of different places so that may be a lot more inside baseball information than you need to know but that's how the program operates and it is recorded and uh... I'll see you with this answer in a couple of months.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's always
0: interesting. People stop and ask or say,
1: really enjoyed the program this morning. And I say, yeah, well, tell me what we talked about. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's like exactly what you said. You can't remember what, what schedule's up on this, this particular Sunday. Correct. So. <laughs> so, all right, the next question is a Bible question. They want to know, what does the Bible say about the world coming to an end? Well, um, the Bible is very specific that the world is going to come to an end now, outside of that it doesn 't give us a lot of detail and unfortunately, that you know people want, people want the detail they really want to know. In fact, um, Jesus' own apostles back in his age, Jesus was talking about the destruction of the temple and when that was going to happen. Of course, we know that happened in 70 A.D. And uh, his apostles said, uh, well, tell us when these things are going to happen. And, and also, by the way, tell us about the end of the world. When is that going to happen? So Jesus answers that question. And he first answers about the coming destruction in 70 A.D. And then he says, but... About that day, this is verse 36, about that day, about the end of the world, uh, this is not the one on the screen, about that day, an hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. So uh, that's pretty clear to me that we just don't, anytime you hear somebody say, ah, the end of the world is on this date, I can almost be sure it's not going to be that day, or at least I can be sure that they for sure don't know that, because no one knows. And so uh, the Bible says it is going to happen, and so we don't know when it's going to happen, but it will happen, and the, the point of the Bible is you better get prepared, because it's going to happen, and we're closer now, by the way, than we've ever been. So we must live in a prepared way so that we're ready for whenever it happens, whether it's today, tomorrow, or uh, 10,000 years from now. Now let's pull that verse up on the screen. second Peter chapter three, verse 10 and 11 Peter said, "The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. May we be focused, even though we don't know when remember that it will happen and may we live in a prepared way.
0: Alrighty. Uh Bible study is obviously important to us since we spend 30 minutes each week with you and uh, try to answer bible questions but we just touch just a little bit of Bible knowledge each week, Uh, and sometimes we even talk about things that aren't in the Bible, like I just did a few minutes ago. (laughs) So we don't get a lot of Bible covered, but there's a whole lot in the Bible that ought to be covered. And the way we think about that is, it's good if we all study the Bible at home, spend some time in God's Word. Uh, We know a lot of people do that. We know a lot of our viewers that uh, haven't got started in that or don't have a regular habit of Bible study. So we've got some tools that we're happy to offer you that help you do that. Uh, here's a course of lessons. It's just a very basic, uh, non-denominational look at the Bible. starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament. Then we've got some other courses that get into the life of Christ and the book of Acts and all sorts of interesting things from the Bible. All of those courses can keep you busy a long time studying with Know Your Bible study tools. At the end, you'll know a lot more about your Bible. We've also got some online courses that we think are a great new addition and a good way to study the Bible. If you go to your uh, computer and type in oneway.worldbibleschool.org, Uh, It'll ask you for your personal information that can get you started on this online course. And you can do it without waiting for the mail, without uh, filling out paperwork. Just do it online. Uh, A lot of the younger generation is liking that new way of studying the Bible. So uh, phone number, website, all of that still works. Tell us what courses you'd like, and we'll get you started studying the Bible with Know Your Bible Study Tools. Alright, interesting question. I don't think we've ever had this one before on Know Your Bible. The viewer says When the devil and other angels were cast down to hell, were they not angels any longer? Are there bad angels? Okay, uh, interesting question, and I believe the answer is they were still angels, but Yes, they were bad angels. And I base that on a few verses like this one. Let's look at Matthew 25, 41. Uh, Jesus said that the eternal fire had been prepared for the devil and his angels. So Jesus called uh, the, the angels angels. He said they were the devil and they were his angels. They were, we call them demons sometimes. Uh, but Jesus said they were the devil's angels so uh, they did stay angels evidently Uh, they were just fallen angels they weren't holy angels anymore and we understand that we we talk about good humans and bad humans Uh, we all stay humans that's the way we were created but we can be either good or bad well angels were created angels Uh, and some of them stayed good some of them went bad and uh, are bad angels to this day. So, uh, I think that's the best answer that the Bible can come up with. Yep, they stayed angels, but they were fallen angels, and they'll be punished uh, for that.
1: Okay, first person asked the question about Jesus. Was he of the Old Testament? Or the New Testament? <laughs> well, my answer to that is yes. Um, he, he was in both. In fact, John chapter 1 starts the book of John by saying, "...in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He was right there at the beginning, at creation." And, of course, he didn't appear in the flesh until centuries later, of course. But Jesus was always there, and he works. he's working in the story of God and God's people because he's right there. And uh, I love uh, 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 what uh, one guy wrote uh, by the name of Tim, Tim Keller, and he just identifies Jesus as he kind of pictures and is foreshadowed in the Old Testament. He said, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden, and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus, Jesus is the true and better, better Abel, who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation, but, but, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who, at the right hand of the king, forgives those who betrayed him and sold him and uses his new power to save him. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord, and who mediates a new and better covenant. Uh, Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Well, I kind of like that. I thought that was a creative way to kind of write it and think about it. But we should see the story and the salvation, the redemptive work of Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. Now, he's not always explicitly named. But then as we see Jesus come in onto the stage in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see his life and he points back again and again and again to how God has been working in the story of his people. So, uh, yes, Jesus was in the Old Testament. He was uh, foreshadowed, if you will. But then the reality, of course, he came in and then the New Testament, and then he established a new and better covenant, the book of Hebrews says. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. And it says, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one, since the old covenant is established on better promises. You and I to living today, live under the New Testament, live under the New Covenant, and um, we believe that Jesus is the mediator uh, of that covenant and the fulfillment of all of the, the law and the demands and and all of the Old Covenant prophecies uh, concerning him. So hope that helps you. He's <coughs> in the Old and the New.
0: All righty. Uh, viewers, after a verse here, where does it say, If you don't work, you shouldn't eat? Well, sounds kind of harsh by today's standards, doesn't it? But that is in the Bible, and it happens to be in First uh, or Second Thessalonians, uh, chapter three and verse ten. Let's read that. Uh, Paul says, "For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule: if a man will not work, he shall not eat." Uh, Paul calls that a rule. Now, we always talk about context on this show, so let's get a little context. Uh, Thessalonians is written to a church in Thessalonica, and Paul is writing to the Christians there. And in verse 6, he starts talking about uh, Christians, brothers, who are idle, who aren't working. And he says, now, that's not the way I taught you. In fact, he says, when I was in Thessalonica, uh, me and my traveling partners, we worked to support ourselves. Uh, we didn't take your food without paying for it. We worked. And that's how we taught you Christians ought to live. Now, I'm paraphrasing all this, but hopefully you'll check me out in Second Thessalonians 3. and That's what Paul says. And he said, remember when we were there, we gave you a rule. If somebody won't work, then They shouldn't eat. And then he goes on and says in verse 11, we hear that some among you are idle, uh, and we say to them, settle down and earn the bread you eat. Okay, so that's the context. He's talking about Christians who evidently were asking to be supported by the church, and the church does help poor people, people that are in hard times, people that uh, lost their job or are sick or something like that. Christians help them. We support each other. But Paul's talking about people who are able to work, but won't. They're just idle. And he said, the rule for them is, uh, if they won't work and they're able to, well, don't give them any food. Now, Like I said, that sounds real harsh to us. We feel compassion, and we ought to feed people and all that. Uh, Paul wasn't being mean or uh, inhumane. He understood (laughs) that if somebody was able to work and spent a couple of days without free food, they'd decide, well, I guess I better get a job. (laughs) I better do something to earn some money because I'm getting hungry. Okay. (laughs) That's what Paul had figured out, so that's what he gave them the rule for. So that's the whole context of the story. That's what uh, that verse is about. And we in the church, yes, we help people. We support people in tough times and difficult times. But if people are able to work, they need to work. That's a a Christian trait. Uh, Now, the problem is we've gotten away from churches supporting people and helping people and requiring them to work and all that, and we've turned everything over to the government, and they don't follow that rule of if a man's able to work, he ought to work or he doesn't get to eat. Uh, don't follow that rule. You get in trouble pretty quick, and okay. lots of people are asking for the free food. So that's what that verse meant and how, where it is, is, Second Thessalonians 3. We invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. We talk about this each week just a little bit because this program is produced by the Churches of Christ and supported by them, and we like to mention some each week. So here's some up in the Quad Cities area, up in Iowa, Illinois, a church in Sterling, Illinois, Moline, Illinois, and Muscatine are all partners with us at Know Your Bible at. Uh, help us stay in contact with people up there and support this program and we appreciate uh, each and every one of them and if you live in one of those communities uh, and you're looking for a church home, let me recommend the, the Sterling Church of Christ or Moline or Muscatine uh, I know some folks in each of those congregations, good folks and you'd be warmly welcomed if you're looking for a place to worship God but uh, some other Christians you know somebody that attends one of those churches maybe you will work with somebody that you know goes to the, the muscatine church of christ tell them hey i saw you on tv the other day uh, <clears throat> we watch know your bible and appreciate it and thanks for providing it for us whatever market you're in there's probably a church of christ near you uh, i invite you to drop in visit them sometime and tell them you heard about them on know your bible All right, Toby, your turn here. Yes,
1: we got a a question that we get quite a lot on Know Your Bible. Uh, In fact, I think we had something similar a couple of weeks ago. What do you believe Jesus looked like? Well,. Uh, I don't know and the Bible doesn't give us a, a whole lot of specifics in terms of, of, of the physical appearance of Jesus and of course people want to know about that because there you know, are movies made about him, there's famous paintings and artwork that's been done about the, the centerpiece of human history and anyway, it was very natural. What, what did he look like? Well, uh, the Bible just doesn't give us a physical description. It. it, it we can deduce some things. Obviously, he was Jewish and he was male, so he was probably shorter than we would normally consider. Uh, He probably had a beard he was darker skinned. Um, He was a carpenter's son. He probably was in good physical shape um, and he, you know, he had to work hard. So those are just some some things that we can say, but we, we really aren't ever told Matthew chapter 13 verse 30 I'm sorry verse 55 after Jesus had been teaching uh, the, the crowd said where does this man get this wisdom and these mighty works is this not the carpenter's son is this not is not his mother Mary are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas I mean they were like who who is this guy? Where did he get this from? We've known Jesus all his life, little little Emmanuel running around here. I mean, they they knew him. He was very common and familiar. And so I use that to say, I don't think there was anything, in my mind, at least as I read the scriptures, that made Jesus's physical appearance in any way extraordinary. He would have just fit in the crowd. You almost would have overlooked him if you were looking at a at a a crowd of first century folks. He just would have fit right in, at least um, he seemed to have from the people of that time. The prophecy about uh, Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53, uh, we'll look at that on the screen. Uh, The prophet Isaiah said this concerning uh, the Isaiah 53, is that up there? All right, there we go. Nope, it's John chapter 1. The next day, John was standing with his two disciples and they looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. So, um, uh, John understood when he was looking at Jesus uh, who he was and and what he came to do. Uh, The prophecy of Isaiah said that he was, there was no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing physically that was extraordinary about Jesus, but certainly what he did was extraordinary in every single way so I uh, hope that helps a little bit it is an interesting question trying to think about what he looked like
0: yep we'd, we'd like to know but if we had a picture of him we'd just worship it instead yep, of thinking exactly. about who exactly he was, so right got no recorded paintings or anything of it probably a reason that's not yep. in there <laughs> all right inheritance viewer wants to know what's the Bible say about inheritance uh, I guess they wonder who to leave their money to or uh, maybe they're a child to wonder what they can tell their folks about leaving their money to them uh, the Bible in the Old Testament had some rules for inheritance Uh, The way it was passed down, it was a patriarchal society, and uh, everything went to the firstborn son, uh, which I personally always thought was a great (laughs) idea, uh, but that's Old Testament. I couldn't convince my little brother that that was a good plan, Uh, but that was the Old Testament rules. The New Testament doesn't say anything about it, Um, just ignores it except for one thing jesus said uh, which is kind of less than nothing about it let's read that in luke chapter 12 verse 13 and 15 Uh, jesus was teaching one day and someone in the crowd said to him teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me Uh, but jesus said to him man who made me a judge or arbitrator over you and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus, first of all, said, I am not in the lawyer business. Uh, I'm not going to get involved in your family inheritance problems. It's not my job, but sounds to me like you're a little greedy. It uh, sounds to me like you want some of the, the money, whether it's due you or not, and that's dangerous to put too much trust in possessions. So uh, that's the only thing New Testament says about inheritance. We certainly follow the rules, regulations of our laws, and deal with it that way. Uh, I might add one thing here. A lot of people uh, that have some money to leave uh, consider leaving some kind of legacy uh, for the kingdom. Uh, lots of folks think about that, and maybe your children uh, have enough they can get by on their own, or maybe uh, you realize that leaving them more would not be a good idea, that they're not uh, responsible and trustworthy, and you'd prefer to leave it to someone or something that could do some more good with it. So consider a legacy, a gift of your inheritance maybe, uh, lots of different good things in this world, good causes and good works that uh, would profit from uh, uh, somebody leaving them a, a trust or some money uh, to do some things with. So, just a suggestion uh, can consider a long term investment with whatever legacy you might have an in inheritance. Alright, we're out of time today, but let's get our trivia question answered and want to know about. Uh, Joshua, when the people crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land, what did he have them pick up? Well, had them get stones, and they got 12 of them. Uh, and when they got on the other side, they stacked them up and made a memorial there. And Joshua said, every time your children see that and ask what it is, you can tell them about this trip. So a good memorial. We're glad you've been with us today and hope we got to your question. If not, we'll come back next week and we'll answer some more. Till then, you have a great week.